Hey everyone, Dave here. Welcome to episode 62 of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. On today's episode, I am talking about creating financial freedom through real estate investing with Lane Kawaoka. Lane took his earnings from his job as a civil engineer and through saving and investing, managed to build up a portfolio uh, of real estate. And now he works with high net worth individuals, sophisticated uh, individuals to uh, invest primarily in uh, large-scale products like apartment blocks and that kind of thing. So it's a really interesting conversation for anyone who's interested in getting into uh, real estate or wants to create uh, financial freedom for themselves, interested in passive income. This one's definitely for you. So hope you enjoy it. If you do, please remember to share with your friends, uh, hit the subscribe, uh, make sure you're getting notified whenever there's a new episode, um, and also like and do all of that good stuff. Uh, it really helps me. Thank you very much. Have you ever questioned why it is that some people seem to have everything they could ever wish for? Health, wealth, love and happiness, but others seem to lack all of these things. Why is it the small minority manage to achieve greatness, but the vast majority fail to reach even beyond mediocrity? What are this small minority doing differently to everybody else? It can't just be down to circumstance, billionaires rise out of poverty. Those questions have been in my head my whole life. And a couple of years ago, I decided to stop wondering and start searching for the answers so that I could help more people achieve greatness in their own lives. So join me and follow along as I uncover the secrets of the minority that the majority aren't taught so that you can apply them to your own life to achieve your own greatness and live the life you want and deserve. My name is David Bell and welcome to Pocket Mastermind. Lane, welcome to yeah. Pocket Mastermind. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. How are things with you? It is good. We've got the phones off and uh, yeah, let's help out your folks here. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about creating a passive income, passive cash flow. Um, and I guess the best place to start with that conversation is really your own journey, your own experience going from engineer to get into a place where you were able to create that that passive cash flow yeah so i um i graduated college back in 2007 and up to that point i was just like anybody else following that linear path i go to school work hard study hard get a job work at that job for 50 60 years maybe retire right <laughs> invest over old, die, yeah <laughs> invest in the retirement accounts mutual funds all that garbage um um my I took a pivot off of that path when I bought a house to live in, which I don't necessarily think is a good idea these days. Mm -hmm. um, I think you should invest your money instead, but that got me started. I started to rent it out because I was never, never at home. I was traveling all the time for work as a new guy always is. Mm -hmm. And I got a taste of cash flow. It was a $2,200 a month rent that it brought in and the, the mortgage was 1600. I knew nothing about rent to value ratios, primary, secondary markets. All I knew is it pocketed a few hundred bucks at least every month. And to a young 20 something year old kid, that was a lot of beer money back then. <laughs> yeah. and, and then it took me like a few days to realize, oh, dang, this, this is something I can like 
rinse, wash, repeat on and then quit my day job doing. Now, how do you then go? And I, I, we'll come back on to the point you just made um, in, a, in a minute about the, you know, not necessarily buying your house as being the, the good in, investment, because I think we get drummed into us that it is. But I guess the first question I have is that, and how do you, when you realize that this is something that you would be interested in, how do you then progress from having that that one because i think that's that's a big question that for a lot of people that are in that position yeah so i started to get sophisticated i started to listen to all the free podcasts and read some books on the topics um you know learn a lot about the fundamentals that buying the first one i just didn't know about yeah um it's funny i didn't really read that silly rich dad poor dad book that a lot of people have read for years later and when i did i was like oh yeah I'm doing this stuff in the audit. <laughs> I know this stuff, right? This is like it's not too late. <laughs> a little too late. Oh, this guy, you know, this guy's this guy's talking the right stuff right here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it was just I, I got that bug and I saw that path forward. And being an engineer, you're able to make a spreadsheet and just kind of do the numbers and make a plan. And that plan was very attainable. I realized that, you know, it wasn't gonna be a super get rich quick type of scheme, mm -hmm. but and it was gonna be very slow in the beginning because you know when you put down money on these properties, I was doing it the the slow the slow way, just normal traditional twenty percent down payment down. So I was limited to how much money I could save for my day job, and that was initially like my biggest thing. And like I, I was able to save money pretty good because I was pretty frugal. I, I grew up frugal, and um, I was able to save fifty grand at least every year from my paycheck. Nice, and yeah. I kind of. As, as I got more and more motivated by this stuff, I tightened the belt even more. And I you know, started to live off the company dime on expenses all the time. I didn't rent anywhere for like five, seven years. And I was putting away like, I don't even know how much, like 50 to 100 grand every single year, just going to investments for the first five years. Smart. And then how did you, how, how did you then evolve from there? Have you then, that you say you were doing it the slow way, did you start to change your approach? Well, I think when you hear about real estate investing, you hear about like, you know, the HGTV shows that like house flipping, it's very uh, dramatic and entertaining. <laughs> yeah, of course. They got to get people to watch these things. Yeah, I don't do any of that. Like I've gotten called for one of those shows one time and, you know, we today we, we kind of flip apartments, but it takes <laughs> three to five years to do. And they're like, yeah, man, that's just boring. You know, they, they, we don't we don't got time for that. Um, it's like, but that's, again, I'm a passive investor, right? All the stuff you see that's exciting, high risk, high reward is more, more active investing. Yeah. Passive investing is slow and it's more conservative. It's more prudent. Um, you buy things that cash flow on a month to month basis. And, you know, one of the ways is you insure by buying properties that only meet like the 1% rent to value ratio. So, you, you know, rule number one of investing says Buffett is don't lose money. And you do that by making sure you cash flow every month that the investment um, runs itself. So talk a bit more about some of the principles then that you follow that have allowed you to be successful and that someone else who's interested in getting into real estate investing could follow. You know, what if you were... I often ask this question, if you were going back to the beginning and you were, you were, you were now your mentor, what would, how would you guide somebody uh, who was at the very beginning of their, their journey on this 
what was what path would you ask tell them to take yeah i mean there's a parts of this business that is kind of subjective but for the most part it's numbers driven that's why i like it it's takes the emotion out of it one of the biggest things you could do just you know just sitting right there right now i mean guys can go on the websites and figure out what the price of the properties are and also figure out you know maybe i don't know what you guys use but facebook marketplace craigslist how much it rents for and you can kind of figure out what the rent to value ratio is so we target things at least one percent or higher so you take the monthly rental price mm-hmm. and you divide it by the purchase price so for example i mean we're, we normally buy like some of my students they buy rental properties that are a hundred thousand dollars that rent for at least a thousand bucks a month mm-hmm. so the thousand divided by 100 grand is one percent that number sort of indicates that the, the rents that's being brought in will support the debt service and then some uh, again the magic number we try and shoot for is um, better than one percent so a lot of people live in California, Washington State, Hawaii, New York, or possibly a lot of places where you're at, um, Europe and Asia, the rents of value ratio suck. I mean, this ain't gonna yeah. work, buddy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Unless you go out to like the ghetto or like the the worst areas like what we call class D and class C, uh, ain't gonna work, right? Like, I mean, here in California, for example, you'd be lucky to find a $400,000 house and that, that'll probably rent for two grand. So two grand divided by 400,000 is half a percent. Mm-hmm. Ain't going to work. So, it, you know, that's kind of the first thing, like you may not be around good properties or, or good market to invest in for cash flow. I mean, it might be good for appreciation, but maybe make me one thing clear. We do not really invest for appreciation. If it happens, it happens. It's icing on top of the cake, but primary focus is cash flow. And that's, I think, which it's different from a lot of sophisticated investors go by this principle. It's different than what most investors do. Yeah, I think there's definitely two strategies, right? There's, um, I think you, some people do go for the capital growth and others go in purely for the for, for the cash flow. And we, we have the same thing over here in the UK in some of the um, some areas of the UK where house prices are much lower, they're much better for, for cash flow in in the south you know around london area then far more expensive um and doesn't work quite so well then you end up with other different tactics um what other principles have you applied when you first started where did you start investing was it near where you were living is it an area that you knew or did you branch out straight away yes i i started investing in seattle and that's where i lived um which again is not necessarily where the numbers make sense but i didn't know any better, right? My first one. Um, but this, the second principle is investing in places where, you know, there's, we grade these properties in areas. So you, you want to be in a more B to C plus class of area. So that we stay away from the two bookends. So the A class, like luxury stuff, you're just not going to cash flow in those areas. And it's too pretty. Yeah. A lot of the the unsophisticated investors and home buyers you're competing with. So you're not going to get the pricing on that. On the low end, you know, like your more war zone area. I don't know if you guys have guns where people shoot each other. Like you know, here in America. We don't, we don't have many guns. Um, yeah. They're not, yeah. They're not a thing over here, thankfully. Not like katana blades in Japan, right? They don't have too many guns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, goofy here in America, right? <laughs> yeah. So we, on that low end, I mean, you can pick up properties for 50,000 bucks mm -hmm. that rents for $800. So if you're doing the math at home, that's well above 1.1, 1.2%. It cash flows like crazy on paper. But shit, if that happens, like that ain't going to happen, right? So there's a sweet spot, right? In the most, the least amount of pain and suffering as a landlord and like your numbers and a good quality product. And in America, the bell curve, most people live in class B, C housing mm -hmm. is, is sort of the mean up medium. Um, so we kind of, yeah, we kind of stay in the middle there. And then we, I, we kind of target more secondary tertiary markets. So no primary gateway or coastal markets though. So no Seattle, no Los Angeles, Bay area, Hawaii. I live here in Hawaii great place to live, but the numbers don't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, places like if people have heard of these, maybe, maybe a lot of you guys haven't heard of like Birmingham, Atlanta, mm -hmm. Indianapolis, Kansas City, uh, Memphis, Little Rock, like places you guys would never visit. I don't, I don't care to visit other than visit my properties, but like, that's just where you get the good numbers, the cash flow, and they're less sexy markets. And part of the reason why is like, you don't have all this unsophisticated money going there. Mm -hmm. So for example, like Las Vegas is more of a secondary tertiary market because it's just so freaking close to California and people go there all the time for vacation. You have a lot of unsophisticated money going to that particular market. So you probably get a lot of people buying kind of vacation properties and stuff like that. There's a lot of wannabe investors, right? They think that, oh, Las Vegas is a little bit off the map. But you know, it's like that, you know, you go to like the Mexican uh, travel spot, right? And you think that you get off the beaten path that everybody else and their mothers got the same idea, right? To get away from the resort. Like, and it's, yeah, it's kind of the same idea. It's like the, it's like the, the um, phenomenon where everyone knows when the traffic's likely to be so everyone leaves early to avoid the traffic <laughs> so, right right and they and they just everyone. pound the other thoroughfares right yeah uh, and then, so talking of that then you're talking about like kind of investing across the states is a big landmass how do you practically start to invest in such a large area yeah great question i mean we we outsource it all to property management. Um, I own 4,200 units. Dude, I don't know how to change out a toilet. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it in fiction. How do you, you source them in the first place? I mean, there, there's a lot of property managers out there. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. big industry and you know, you don't work with whether there's a property manager, plumber, whatever, you don't work with them unless you have a good referral from somebody you trust. So this is where the relationships come into play. I mean, you can go on Yelp or whatever. You're probably going to get not the best people. I mean, going to like a big brokerage house that they can do property management for you, but you're likely to get the dude who can't sell houses. I don't want that person doing a much harder job of like leasing my properties out and managing difficult people. Uh, you know, you always want to go through referrals and everything you do. And this is where it gets, it's hard, right? Because yeah. most people want the stuff spoon fed to them, but they don't want to talk to some other person to get a name. They just want to go in their underwear on the computer and like Google something or well, we Yelp it or whatever. Right. Oh, what's that? We've got so used to doing everything through the screen now. 
you don't even have to speak to somebody to order order food you can do that through your phone and through right right and and that's what i i like you know like crowdfunding websites are kind of the same thing in my opinion the, the yeah. deals on the crowdfunding websites are just for people who the syndicators who couldn't fund their deal <laughs> i mean i've tried to use them as a capital source and they just charge us so much money that to me makes no sense unless you're super desperate as an operator why you'd use one of those crowdfunding websites. Um, so it's, I think it's inferior investments on there, but heck, I mean, they get that dude who just wants to play on his computer in his underwear and he wants to invest his money. Right. Like, but I think as an investor, there's always like a minimum effective dose to anything and investing. If you just connect with a few people, get some referrals, you'll do heck of a lot better than the average Joe in his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> and when you when you were in the early days you're sourcing the properties you know the actual the the real estate itself how did you fly were you flying all over the place to view these things or did you quite quickly trust somebody else to give you the information you needed yeah so my first few units i bought in seattle but then i went few thousand miles away i don't even know how who cares how, how far it was it wasn't where i lived <laughs> I, I bought i bought five in atlanta four in birmingham one in indianapolis it was kind of my initial before mm. 2015 um i didn't visit them i just got up got worked with the right brokers and property managers off referral and i kind of just trusted and went <laughs> and this is where like a lot of my friends are like, that's crazy, man. Like, how did you do this? And this is where I kind of started my podcast and kind of told how I did this tactually, tact tactfully back then. Cause a lot of it's, I forgot about. So a lot of this is like the first dozen podcasts and like how I did this because mm -hmm. my strategy has kind of changed. I'm going after more apartments these days, but for newer investors, it, I, I think it's pretty, I always kind of refer them to this, the tactual tips that I did in the beginning because it is crazy, right? <laughs> I never visited the, these properties a lot. I mean, after a couple of years and I was buying more, then yeah, I took a trip out there. But you know, when you're cash flowing on one property, a few thousand dollars a year, taking a trip out there and more importantly, like most of my clients are high net worth, mm -hmm. high paid professionals that only have maybe a two weeks of vacation. It ain't worth it to go burn a few days to go to Birmingham. It's not but a good use of time. time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let alone the you know the flight and hotel costing a thousand bucks, right? But just time more important than money to most people. Some people, it should be to most of us, to be honest. But and uh, I think we put a lot of uh, a lot of uh, prominence on on the cash yeah. thing more than the time. Well, it, it's it. Thankfully, that's the way, right? Because for some of us who value our time in front more money, there's plenty of people out there driving Uber and Lyft and mm -hmm. delivering my food. I think otherwise. So it's a good point. Yeah. I mean, these days, I mean, you start to think intellectually about time and money. I mean, money you can, you can generate, but time is something you can, you cannot, and you can trade money for time. You can pay for quickness, but you can't do it the other way. Yeah. Wise words. So you just said there, you kind of, you, you, you work more with apartments now than, than houses. What was what it was it that made you kind of change to that strategy? Are you buy are you talking like whole blocks of apartments? Yeah, so today we kind of focus on a hundred units and above because there's just more economies of scale. 
we don't compete with the mom and pop investor buying a you know one to three million dollar property and we get better lending when we go to these larger apartments. And then I want somebody who's in the office at all times and the handyman running around knocking out small work orders instead of paying third party uh, repair bills. So, but I mean, it wasn't always like that. I had to get my net worth up to a certain level to be able to make that jump to the big stuff. And I would say, you know, somewhere between half a million dollar net worth is kind of the point where I'd say most people should jump up to the bigger stuff. Certainly if you're an accredited investor, I'd say syndications and private placements are the way to go. But I mean, I thought single family homes was going to get me to the promised land and it, and it can, but when I had 11 rentals, I realized that I had some kind of big catastrophe that happened every quarter, like a plumbing repair, a tree falling on the house. And it's some kind of eviction every, every other year or every six months. Mm-hmm. just on 11 rentals which is no problem again right because i'm having prop third party property management deal with all my garbage issues yeah um it was not too bad but you're <laughs> still playing the manager role yeah so you're still it's still something that's still filling your your headspace and also it's it still hits the returns right so yeah and and with 11 rentals i mean if you do the math a few hundred bucks per property you're talking about what three thousand bucks a month which hey i'm not complaining man not it's first word problems of, yeah, true. for sure. But what person can retire on $3,000 a month? What family can do that? No, you need three times that yeah. amount. So three times the problems, right? And then I started to join different masterminds and started to network with other high paid doctors, lawyers, engineers that were a little further along the, the line as me. And they all, it opened my eyes because the, the, the tune of their story was, yeah, we all owned rental property at one point. And it's great when your net worth is lower, but for more accredited investors, it's investing in private placements and syndications and completely scalable investment vehicles. And, but a lot of it is predicated on building your network because you have to go find people to invest with. So you find, you're finding other, uh, other people that, to basically form syndicates with to be able to then create economies of scale. Right, right. And you're trying to, you know, work with different operating partners because there's always in the, the, the analogy that we like to use for these syndications, it's like an airplane. Uh, an airplane has the cockpit of the general partners, the people who find the deal, they get the lending in their name. So none of the passive investors get any lending in their name, no debt in their name. They operate it, they pay out all the distributions and then all the passive investors come and coach pay their money and they sit down and they go to sleep and they cash their checks and the passive investors are in, you know, you know, a few dozen deals. So you're diversified over different partners, different asset classes, apartments, mobile home parks, self-storage, assisted living developments. And then also, you know, geographic, you're all over the place too. I mean, this, and then, the tax advantage is so much stronger than owning little single family homes because you can do a cost segregation, extract out bonus depreciation. Um, might be more specific thing with America that we have these days, but I mean, this is how you pay little to no taxes and this is how it all comes together, right? This is how the wealthy do things. Yeah, talk a bit about, talk a bit more about that because I know you, you talk a bit about some of the rules that the, the wealthy play by that um, most people don't know or you know, even exist, never mind know how to play them. So talk a bit more about some of those principles. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we're not like investing in any retirement accounts, right? So we're we're investing our cash for a variety of reasons. Like first of all, like I want my money. I'm retired now, technically. I still work, but like I want my money well before I'm 60, 70, right? But when you put money into your retirement account, it's locked up until then. Number two, I'm just speculating here that I'm probably going to make more money in the future than now. You know, I feel like my future is bright. I'm trajectory is going up there, which is contrary to what they teach you, right? They teach you that you're going to make a lot less because your W2, your, your salary is going to be going away mm-hmm. and you're going to shrivel up and die and eat ramen noodles until you die. <laughs> um, so with that said, you know, the, the tax, my tax bracket will likely jump up in the future. So I want to pay my taxes today while I'm in a lower tax bracket mm-hmm. today. Thirdly, I mean, if you, I don't know if you guys look across the pond, but like we spend, we spend money like crazy out here. Our government does and how else are they going to pay for all this stuff but to raise taxes eventually so taxes are going to be going up in the future i would rather pay my taxes today get it out and as opposed to always continuously having this lean over my retirement accounts fourthly which a lot of people don't realize is you know like i said we get a lot better tax benefits with these larger syndication deals we pull out a lot of passive losses and hold them so that we can use it to when we want you don't get any of that when you invest via a retirement account. So, I mean, a lot of the sophisticated accredited money is getting out of those type of things. And I, if you look back in history, like we didn't have those retirement accounts set up before like the 1980s, 19, you know, around there was when it was kind of created. And it was kind of a program that was brought the, the big brokerages and the government in cahoots with each other to put stuff money into these mutual funds. On the one hand, I mean, it's, I think it's good. Like people should save their money, right? But not necessarily in the clutches of all these Wall Street companies. Yeah, exactly. They, Maybe they've got have, it. Yeah, I think everyone got brainwashed into not having control over their money. It's give it to a give it to a money manager who they you know it looks like they don't charge you a great deal. But right, right. Charging you two percent, and it's a, it ends up being a huge percentage of whatever gains, if any you're 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 making in the year and i think people look at the number wrong yeah i mean the expense ratio may be 0.015 but that's not it they they're hiding a lot of above the line expenses in there and it was made clear to me that like i mean people go to my website i kind of break down like how much money do you make with some random average rental property and it's can be like 20 30 percent at least Mm -hmm. per year and I was like looking when this is very early on, I was like looking at that and I was like, well, how am I making 8% in my stock stuff? What the heck? What happened to all my money? And then you start to realize that this is a big engineered system to like extract all these fees out from everybody's hardworking energy. How else did they build, build these big buildings, right? How else did these, these pay for these like, Cambridge graduates to go work for them and do analysis all day long. I mean, if you put in a little bit of effort and do it yourself, look what happened. You can, you can do this on your own, right? Or if you kind of want to just get slaughtered like everybody else, you can do what they do and work for 50, 60 years. And this is what angered me so much. I was like, this is unfair. There's a lot of hardworking, smart people that just blindly put their money into this system, but there's a crack in the system. 
But it, the system is designed, like you say, to extract huge amounts of cash for the people running the system. Right. I mean, what would happen if a few people from listening to this bought a rental property this year or next year, and then two years later saved up more money to buy another one and just kept on doing that for not 30 years, but just 10 years? Mm-hmm. They'd be financially free. And then they would stop doing all that random stuff, trading time for money, like, and this economy would crash, right? That it it can't happen, right? Like society cannot function if people did this. It's that is that's an interesting thought. If 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 everyone saw the game, then the game would be over. There'd have to be a different game. The game would have right. Right. I mean, people are going to listen to this podcast and probably only 5% are actually going to go listen to my first eight podcasts to actually like learn tactfully how to do it. And then eventually those 5%, those, you know, those motivated souls will eventually hit a wall and stop. That wall is kind of there to kind of filter people from doing this stuff, (laughs) but it's not hard, right? If you have the right, like, connections and you kind of just persevere like anything like finance like financial independence is not for everybody mm-hmm. if not it wouldn't be for anybody yeah it wouldn't be there no i think it's it i think it, there's a lot of it's the unknown isn't it right lots of people they they were scared of the unknown it's a it's kind of a bit of a human trait and i think that tends to stop most most people from going any further and investigating never mind never mind starting but i think like you say when you when you started you kind of did your own thing and then you found other people that were further along on the journey and then learnt from them and my my advice in anything if you want to do something different is try and find try and find someone who's a bit further along and and learn from from that person or people join groups these days you know you can join network groups are on facebook they're all over the place so you know you can you can find like-minded people probably easier than you could have done before all of this when you had to go and go into an awkward room and stand there with your name card on and (laughs) say right right no right yeah exactly i mean it's kind of easier today but Mm. there is a lot more noise out there i think that's the hard thing that um, is the hard do. thing. It's kind of where do where do you, that's probably a good good question. It's kind of like where do people start? Where do you try and try and get through that noise? Because I think marketing's very sophisticated now, and everybody. Yeah. Some... Facebook groups are just marketing tools these days, Mostly. right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, that's like everybody's making podcasts these days because they're really effective. But so now you're your podcast like directory is just loaded with a bunch of garbage but and it's it's yeah it's hard to even have the time to listen to everything that you want to listen to or watch everything you want to watch or read everything you want to read there is so much out there and i think the 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 trick is to really focus in on kind of like one or two things at any given time and really really focus in on those things and learn whatever that you know that one thing or two things are to it to a certain point and then move i think we get distracted very easily on trying to do a million trying to learn a million things at once i've definitely yeah, it, that trap at some point i mean and so so what i see a lot of people doing it or what i recommend 
is like you know absorb all the free stuff for about six months and just be a sponge right get that baseline level of of knowledge so you can intelligently hold a conversation even though you may not have any experience and then i would say after six months like get off of the podcast the free content stage and really mix it up with people actually doing it i think that's an important stage because you know you there's that you fall into that mistake of and you see them out there, the guys listening to podcasts for two, three, four, five years, they know everybody, but they don't have done anything, right? Mm-hmm. The podcast junkies. Um, and then like, you know, cause my, my clients are usually high paid doctors, lawyers, engineers, they're more uh, credit investors. But something I always tell them is like, you know, avoid the local RIAs, even though that's traditionally said to place to be going for real estate networking. And avoid, you know, those free websites, the blogs and the, um, the, the, the forums. And I tell them that because I say you got to find your tribe, the people of your pedigree. You know, a lot of people, they think of real estate as wholesaling houses, flipping the active stuff, as we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. You know, that's not what passive investors do. And that's just not the place that a higher net worth, a credit investor would hang out. They're not going to go to a free happy hour and hang out with some bros, drink some beers, right? They may very well like that, but they're not going to go hang out with guys much lower net worth than them because they're, those guys are doing different things. They're more active. They're trading their time for money. Whereas the passive investor is, is much different. So I always tell people like, sorry, I can't really help you out where to go, but I can tell you where not to go. And yeah, don't go to those places. And how do you, because I guess one of the things that for a lot of people is they think, well, it's an imposter syndrome type thing, right? You don't, if you, if you feel like you're not at the same level as somebody else, how do you kind of get involved in those circles where you really need to get to with people that are, are further along? Yeah. I mean, that's a hard one, right? I'm, I'm kind of in my head, I'm thinking of like, you know, a young dentist, right? Making a lot of money is definitely shouldn't be doing flipping houses because that's, a lot of effort and risk and bad tax wise. Uh, but where does he find these other people? I mean, I don't know, man, it's hard. I don't know what to say. I mean, I have my tribe and that's why I've created my tribe, right? Not to like pitch anything, but that's why it's so freaking valuable, right? How else are you gonna find other high net worth investors that you want to emulate? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to figure, and then how do you figure out what you want to? I think that's where the first six months comes in. Yes. Go in there and sample everything in the cafeteria, and but go in knowing with the lens, like where you should fall, right? Like if you're higher net worth, you make a good salary, you're more of a, a passive investor than an active investor, and kind of start to specialize more in that area in a way. It's good. At least know what you want. Yeah, and I think well, that's the, that's a fundamental for life. Full stop. And I think that's probably a step that most of us skip at some point. And we've got to. If you don't know what you want, you don't know what kind of lifestyle you're after. You may want to be busy doing, you know, doing real estate, or you may want to be more passive. It's you got to know what kind of lifestyle you're after. Yeah, but it, it's hard, right? Like, I mean, just, I'm just thinking of like something as daunting as going to college and picking your degree and picking your path and your career in life. I mean, what really a daunting off, yeah. thing. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe like the the missing ingredient is that mentor that kind of knows you and knows a little bit of the landscape to point you in the right yeah. direction. So like, I mean, this happens a lot. Like 
a guy who, a younger guy who's broke, you know, net worth $100,000 or less. And, you know, he's just starting on in life, right? But he reads all the stuff that apartment investing is better. And it is better, right? Syndication is better, right? But they contact me, they find me through my website and they're like, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm like, dude, you're broke. You need you got to be more active investor, right? This is more for rich people, yeah. right? Like, like, yeah, you followed the breadcrumbs, but that's not your pedigree, you know? But if you had somebody, I mean, I guess that's the role that I do. I mean, I have free, like really quick 15 minute, like onboarding calls where I kind of just point in people in the right direction for, you know, other than I figure if I can spend 15 minutes of my life helping out random strangers, that it, it would save that particular person dozens of hours, right? Screwing around doing syndications when really they had no money, no shot, and they should just yeah. buy their first round of property, right? They kind of just, you go here. Go and earn the stripes a bit. Go and go and get to know the business. Go and get to yeah. know the real estate. Or just saving their time, right? Their time and energy and focus to not focus on something that's just eons away. Yeah. That they haven't hit that stage yet. Got to, got to work your way, work your way up. Um, right. Who, who's probably, who do you think's probably been the biggest inspiration or influence on you since you started doing what you're doing? Um, I'm not a big like guru guy or, I mean, I like Tony Robbins. I think he has a lot of good, good stuff. Um, but I, I kind of sample from a lot of people and Gary Vaynerchuk is another mm. guy, but I stopped. I mean, I, I noticed a lot of people, they really spend a lot of time consuming all those guys content, but I kind of try and stay away from that. I, there's two people in life. There's people who create content and there's people who consume it. I try and, stay on the side of creating my own stuff the same with uh products right there there's the magic formula is if you want to if you want to get rich create and if you want to be poor consume and you know the, the bulk of the population is in the consumer market all right i mean just like you know your social media feed right are you want to read in everything or are you want creating it yeah very wise what about books well if you could if you could recommend a book, a uh, single book, what would it be? Uh, I'm a big fan of books. Again, I think more can be found of actually doing it and experiencing things mm. and screwing it up. But I mean, I like for real estate investing, Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller has a girl like good fundamentals. And after that book, I mean, like, dude, you should just go out and buy a property, right? That you're going to learn a lot more of that stuff. I follow the 70-20-10 rule, which is, 70% is doing it, 20% is learning through your peers or a mentor, but only 10% is the academic stuff, reading these damn books, right? I mean, I think they're great for mindset if you're kind of getting stuck, mm -hmm. you know, motivation-wise, but I think too often most people, they get stuck on this self-help type of syndrome where they're just reading books and then it's kicking off the endorphins that they're making progress when really they're not right yeah, you don't go forwards at all and it's very easy because there's so much good marketing around that stuff like i said before yeah i mean if it's working for you and it's getting the results you know um because yeah i'll admit like days are long right as an entrepreneur and sometimes you need that little perspective change yeah so i'm, I'm always reading stuff but like kind of quietly as the you know the always on the back shelf back burner i find it useful for 
uh, if you want to if there's a particular skill to get the theory part right so you can well actually and rather than just aimlessly reading theoretical stuff like if you if there's it's a you know like you would like if you were going to do another college degree or something right there's reading involved and if you want to find right there's a skill that i need to develop let me learn a bit about that and then i can go and apply the stuff that i'm i'm reading then i think it's useful but it's very easy to fall into the trap of just read 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 and never do 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 right and it kind of falls into like the whole imposter syndrome right you don't think you're ready you still think you need to learn incubate but i don't know stop being a weenie you know get out and do it make some mistakes you know have some confidence so you can recover right i I mean never do anything that you cannot what's you always think what's the worst that can happen Mm -hmm. if you can't recover from it then don't do it right so you always should be taking small calculated risks that you can if the worst happened, you can recover from. Yeah. Right. Like I don't go skydiving because I, the worst could happen. I die, but I'm going to put 20, 50 grand into this investment, right? Small incremental investments or risks. And it's something I can live with. I, I'm with you. I don't skydive either. I'm one of those people that every, <laughs> every time you buy some, every time I buy something, it seems to be faulty. <laughs> so I'm not going to risk it with a parachute. <laughs> not a chance. How about how do you start and end your day? Do you have routines at all? Um, I get up. I I check the emails for a couple hours. I know that's everybody says not to do, but hey, man, I gotta I gotta put out the fires and I gotta mm-hmm. you know talk to investors. And then, um, yeah, just putting out fires for the next few hours. I think it must be quite interesting because you're being in Hawaii, you're kind of behind the time zones for everywhere that you're working with, I assume. Yeah, and that's part of it, right? Like I, when I wake up, my colleagues in Texas are already at lunchtime and they already put up a whole bunch of junk in my inbox at that point. Um, it kind of cools down around the afternoon here. So I can kind of work on my projects, but I am more tired. So mm-hmm. it, it kind of bucks the whole like theory of like eating your frog, you know, getting your big projects done first. And, but I just don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't sit down for 20, 15 minutes and meditate about my big goals in the morning. I don't, you know, I don't do that. Right. Like I'm not, I just don't do it. I don't have time for that is what I feel like. But yeah. well, I guess what I'm saying is like, whatever works for you, right. Exactly. There's no, and that's why I asked that question because it is different for everybody. And and you know, there's always the oh, you've got to get up at five a.m. and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And and the the point of having these conversations is to say actually, every lots of people do things in different ways. Maybe something that you do, something that someone else does, is is of interest to somebody listening right now and says, well, I could try that right and see see if that. Yeah. I think the big thing is just like, do you, but make sure you're executing, right? Like if, if it's not working for you, then switch it up. But, you know, like, I think you hear, especially a lot of podcasts and, and what you hear on YouTube is a lot of self-selecting bias advice, right? Just because Mr. Timothy Ferris does something one way, doesn't mean that you should, right? Or he interviews five super successful people. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that because those are the outliers, right? I'm not going to follow like, I don't know, like LeBron James's eating habits for some reason, because I'm not freaking LeBron James, right? Like, <laughs> that guy's a freaking alien. This is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, you're not a, if you're not a professional athlete, you don't need to live like one. 
Right. Or, I mean, I, 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 this might be different, right? It's wired differently, right? And just because I, I think, I, you know, my argument is like these guys that you hear about that have these big influences, they're, they're aliens. <laughs> they're not humans, right? What the heck are you? Most likely, if you're listening, you are a human, just like me. Why are you going to go follow their advice, right? Like, you know, it's like Michael Jordan's guide to basketball. It's like, oh, just just dunk the ball from the three-point, the three-throw line. All right, man, got that, right? Like, that's just not good advice. It's just, it's a paradigm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> they are, they're, they, they, it's interesting because it tends to be the outliers that end up having the loudest voice. And so the masses try and be the outliers and it's, and it becomes... I think it becomes tiring, right? And yeah. disheartening because it's hard to keep up with that kind of stuff. I, I want to know what the guy who sucked got the most out of his suckness. I want to know what that guy did, yes. right? <laughs> I want to know what the 300-pound guy did to lose 20 pounds. I want to know what he did, right? But nobody – there's never – let me know when you find that podcast or whatever. But that's just not going – you know, that just doesn't get any airtime. Right. Well, it's because it's not the shiny, sparkly thing with the huge budget. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't want to hear what is was Tim Ferriss's book like Legends well, or something uh, like that. Oh, the uh, tools Giants. of Titans. Yeah, I want to know what the tools of the scrubs out there are. Right, <laughs> the scrubs that found a little glimpse of success or whatever it is. I like. I want to know that that is. We should write that book. (laughs) (laughs) We just went out and we just found the losers out there that had that one or good two weeks. And we figured out what that was. So we could emulate that. We could emulate that for two weeks and we could just string along maybe a few of those for a month. (laughs) I love it. Where can, uh, where can people find you? Where can come and if they want to find out a bit more, if they're along the journey, you know, they're somewhere in the vicinity of be you know invest investing at the level that that you're at um or want to know a bit more where can they find you yeah so uh, my podcast is simple passive cash flow um the url is simple passive cash flow.com so we we kind of cater to more credit investors high paid working professionals but i'll say if you're starting out you know the first i would say dozen podcasts would be good to listen to they were more about buying single family homes you know just getting started remote rentals initially um, obviously, the as my story has kind of progressed um, these last couple of years, it's gone more to apartment investing, syndication investing, and then infinite banking is another concept we talk about. And, you know, just more, more focus on like higher net worth accredited investors. Lane, thank you very much for giving up your morning. Nice to know. Yeah. Thanks for having me, David. Bet your weather's Appreciate way better than mine is. Uh, and for anyone who's listening now, uh, like I say, there, there'll be links at pocketmastermind.com. Head over there and you'll be able to connect with Lane. And uh, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to hear more similar episodes, head over to pocketmastermind.com where you'll also find the links mentioned in this conversation. 
And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review. It will really help us to get our message out and let more people know about these episodes. So leave us a review, leave us a rating, hit the subscribe button and please share with your friends. Until next time, thank you again for listening.